A warm welcome to the Creative Places and Faces podcast, the podcast that explores places that help to inspire creativity. Some are local, some even formative, and others are far away and sometimes rather exotic. I'm Mike Payne, one of the Creative Places and Faces team. Let me introduce you to your host, Jackie DeBurka. Jackie is originally from Dublin, Ireland, but has spent a lot of time abroad, especially in Spain. She is the author of Salvador Dali at Home, creator of Travel Inspires, and the number one travel and tourism influencer, Q2 2020, according to Global Data. Over to you, Jackie. Jan, going back to your time in East Belfast, and of course you travel a lot and then you're going back, that's your that's been your base now for quite a number of years. Yeah. Why do you love that environment so much? Because obviously you do. Um a couple of reasons. I love the closeness of it. Um, I live in a tiny wee terraced house. You can possibly hear my neighbor's dogs barking here because they go off every so often. <laughs> but mm-hmm. I love that sense of living closely with people. Um, for a writer, there's so much material in it. And I, mm-hmm. you know, I, I know some people probably would balk at the idea of being so close to the the subject that you're writing about but for me I need to be right in the middle of it and um, most of my community work is now within a kind of six block radius of where I live and um, mm-hmm. I write about these streets I live in these streets I know the writers and the artists who live in my community it, it feels very healthy and very um, ingrained in who I am so I, I think uh-huh. there's that and then there's been a huge part for me, this has been really healing. I mean, we're right in the heart of Protestant Belfast here. You mm-hmm. know, if I stick my head out the door, I can see Union Jacks and other flags, which we will not mention. Um, <laughs> and there is this, for me, there was a sense of coming to peace with who I, I was whenever I moved to the East. Because um, I was, you know, spent a long time coming from Ballymena, having a very, you know, strong Protestant identity. My my dad's father was in the orange it's there in our family and it's frustrated mm-hmm. me and I didn't like it or appreciate it um, and this experience of being in this community has taught me how to be a bit more nuanced about about okay. my background and who I am so I get to ask questions about same as I do about religion I get to ask questions about you know what about this community is good and worthy of celebration that I want to hold on to and what needs to be critiqued or let go of. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a much more mature response to to identity than just I'm going to throw everything out. Yeah, um, of course. Um, and I, I find that being here has allowed me to do that. So, yeah, I still get frustrated when I'm trying to get the car out the end of the road and there's a band parade and I have to sit there for <laughs> 25 minutes. Like that still annoys me. But yeah, also, yeah. Like I've been out and chatted to people at band parades and some of them have reasons for being there that I would question and some have reasons for being there that are so legit and so much part of who they are and family and community and that I've had to say that that sounds great. Like I completely understand why you love this culture. Mm-hmm. Okay. So it's kind of like in a way you put yourself, yeah, you put yourself in the middle of something that's both healing, but is like an ongoing creative project to you, I suppose. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, it's funny, like if you mirror the the kind of arc of my writing, um, you know, it's it started everything that I wrote when I moved back from the states was set in the states for years, or else it was set in a kind of abstract, not pinned down place that was nowhere. 
And mm-hmm. the more I've come to love this neighborhood, this community, this city, the more focused the writing has become. It's kind of got closer and closer and closer to, you yeah. know, I've actually found in lockdown, I've written quite a few stories that are just set in my house. Oh, really? Um, got very tight now. <laughs> Okay, let's talk about that a little bit because I was going to refer to lockdown. But one one question that just before we concentrate on lockdown and East Belfast, which which we will do again, um, your first postcard stories book that was uh, published in April two thousand and seventeen. Tell tell us a little bit, Jan, about how that actually came about as a concept. Um, so I had writer's block in 2015. I just published my first short story collection and I, for the first time in my life, I didn't have any ideas. I couldn't think what to write about. And so I set myself this challenge of writing a short story every day. And to make mm-hmm. it manageable, I said, I'll, it'll be small. I'll fit it in the back of a postcard. And to keep me to it that I would actually follow through, I promised 365 friends a story on a postcard so I had to post them because I had all their addresses so <laughs> okay. um, the first collection came from that we couldn't publish them all and some of them were terrible um but we picked one a week so there's a, a week's or a year's worth um of, of mm-hmm. postcard stories in the first collection okay and now the second collection which was released quite recently before our interview today in July of 2020 um how have you linked this particular collection, Jan, to community work and also to COVID-19? Um, well, it, it was all written before COVID-19, so it's um, it predates it. Um, the second collection, I continued to write postcard stories, but they became more something for me that I use as a kind of travel log. So mm-hmm. a lot of the stories in this collection aren't set in Belfast. Um, there are a few that still are because sometimes just a really good story strikes you and you have to get it down. But a lot of them were based on the, the, the traveling that I've done since the writing has taken off and I've got to travel around the world to festivals and things. Um, people no longer want a postcard home that says, you know, weather is nice, wish you were here. They're like, oh, I want a story. Can I have a story, please? <laughs> that's where those came from. I have, um, during lockdown, I actually started writing postcard stories again um, as something that I felt I could do to keep in touch with the community participants that I've been working with at the start. A lot of my community arts projects are based on older people and at the beginning technology like Zoom and Skype was very difficult for them. So I started writing a postcard story each day of lockdown and posting them out so something physical was coming in the post mm-hmm. um, and that morphed and got out of control very quickly um, and I ended up just sending them to anybody who was isolated or feeling a bit lonely so mm-hmm. we took nominations from friends and I think I think we ended up with about 120 when I finished really so about three and a half months of writing postcard stories and I was very very lucky to have a ton of amazing young artists who offered to illustrate them for me so we had 105 little artists from around the world drawing pictures for the postcard stories this session so I'm hoping that we might be able to publish a collection of those just as the lockdown postcards at some stage in the next year or so. Wow and did you get much feedback from you know from the people who had nominated uh, the recipients did you get much feedback about how it was lovely. Yeah. It kept me going. Like I, I live by myself. So 
I was quite isolated for a lot of, of lockdown as well. And the feedback that came back from people who'd received postcards or um, folks who'd nominated maybe a, a parent in a nursing home who they couldn't see at the minute. Um, mm-hmm. We had um, one one older lady who cause I would post them every day so everybody else could read them online. And I mm-hmm. had one lady in Scotland who would phone up her sister each day and read the daily postcard story down the phone oh, to really? her. Um, and I had another couple of my wee artists, they live down the road from a man who's who was widowed just before lockdown started, an older man. Oh, wow. mm. And each day they did their own illustration and went down to his house, read the story through his window because he was in isolation and oh. posted their illustration to him. So that's actually, that's gone to our public records office as an archive, all of their art and my stories, which things really? like that cheer you up, it's lovely. Of course. So, so, I mean, basically they've been like a lifeline to some people, really. Yeah. So it just meant that that man for three months got a visit from two happy 10-year-olds once a day <laughs> and a piece of story and a bit of art and a wee bit of chat. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. So, Jan, you, you're, you've mentioned just beforehand that, you know, you, you live by yourself. So, of course, lockdown would have had a huge impact on you. And on top of that, the local environment that people have been experiencing because of lockdown and COVID-19. Um, I know lots of people personally who really appreciate their local environment much more and perhaps see it more like a child might see it. From your writing, it's really obvious to me that that's an integral part of your talent and who you are. Have you ever wondered why you're like that? Um, I think I'm just nosy, Jackie. Like, okay. <laughs> I, I really like looking at things when I'm out and about. Um and I definitely like I, I, I totally agree with you about coming to appreciate the space immediately around you during lockdown. Um we I live just along the road from um Victoria Park and mm-hmm. for about eighty days until lockdown lifted I walked exactly the same route every single day mm-hmm. and I noticed everything. You know, every little flower that came out, every rat that had appeared, every piece of rubbish. Um, you just, and I think there's something about that that is actually a really good discipline to learn as a writer to pay attention to what's around you. It doesn't come naturally to people. I think particularly nowadays we tend to, you know, dash from here to the next thing, not aware of what's around us. But yeah, as a yeah. writer, you have to hone that skill of like, I'm going to notice the details and the little things that other people miss. Um, yeah. So I did. I really appreciate it having green space close to me. Um, we have a fantastic thing in the east um, called the Greenway. And the Greenway is an off-road path that links mm-hmm. up every single park in this part of the city. So it means mm-hmm. you can... I mean, it means my, my nephew who lives five miles from me can cycle from his house to my house without ever being on a road, mm-hmm. which is a gift. Um, of course. Yeah. I, got, I took so much advantage of the Greenway <laughs> during, during lockdown. Yeah, that's well, I mean, it's people, I think people really realize, Jan, at a time like that. I'm, I'm very privileged because I live on an olive farm. So... Yeah. It's almost like I wouldn't say I've been untouched. That would be an exaggeration. But having green space of any sort close by, I think a lot yeah. of people have, you know, learned yeah. to really, really appreciate. Going going back, Jan, to the days 
that were your your normality before the new normality that we're all dealing with and you were traveling a lot you know pre-COVID-19 how many weeks per year were you away doing book festivals workshops and so on Jan? Um, I think last year was really bad so I was in 25 countries last year and Oof. I worked for- I'd spent two thirds of the year. I keep a I keep a track of the nights that I sleep in my own bed, and <laughs> it was it was less. It was just over a hundred. I think it was about one hundred and fifteen nights in my own bed. Wow! Um, but within that, I was very very fortunate. I had two month long residencies, mm-hmm. so I was a resident in Cove Park in Scotland, which is wonderful for a month. And then I also had a residency in Paris at the start of this year for a month. So okay. um, that, that took a fair whack of the nights out of my own bed away. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. And, and normally in the summertime, apart from the residencies that you've just mentioned, you do spend quite a bit of time, don't you, Jan, down south in Ireland? Um, and you've mentioned to me that you feel very much a part of the Irish writing community. Um, I find that really interesting, you know, as a Northern Protestant and particularly as you've described how important your faith is to you. You've obviously experienced a, a deep level of inclusion and acceptance and that you have a sense of belonging, for, you know, when you're down there. Why do you think this is? How do you feel that's come about? Um, I think, you know, I think there is an openness in the South. It's, it's very humbling to be in, you know, West Cork or Limerick or Tipperary or somewhere and have people come up and say, I don't really understand that much about what it means to be a Northern Protestant, but I like to learn. You know, mm-hmm. that, that, that's the attitude that I normally get faced with. It's not, oh, yeah, we've got that covered. We know everything. It's more <laughs> that, that respectful. I don't understand, but please tell me. And maybe it's because that's how I've had to posture myself as well. Like I, I said earlier in the interview, but I, I don't have Irish history. Like I, mm-hmm. I don't understand. There's huge gaps in my learning. And I certainly don't understand what it would be like to have grown up, you know, Catholic in, in the south of Ireland. I, not within my range of, of experience so you mm-hmm. you begin all of those dialogues across difference you have to begin from a position of, of humility of going I can only understand what I've experienced and then you either say and I'm not interested in your experience or you say tell me about your experience yeah, um, yeah. It's, it's very basic um I, I just think it's about openness really mm-hmm. and also once again, super nosy and want to know <laughs> what it's like for other people in different places. You know, it's, it's absolutely the same when I, the last place that I went before lockdown was Lithuania. And mm-hmm. I ended up in a bar to about two o'clock in the morning with a Ukrainian writer, um, a Belarusian writer, a German writer, a Lithuanian writer, and I think a Slovenian writer. Mm-hmm. And that's what we did for ours. Here's my experience of growing up in the weird place I'm from. What was it like for you? <laughs> okay, yeah, yeah, that's fantastic. Um, one of one of the things as well, Jan, because you've moved around so much, it's very much part of who you are, I think, as a person and a writer. And you sent me this wonderful article um, in preparation for this interview that uh, it was clo- close writing for Kin Magazine. Yeah, and. I would love to read out more of it, but I'm only going to read out a very short uh, excerpt from it. You you wrote, I've always written best in the in-between spaces, airports, boats, trains, 
There's a freedom to be found in the liminal, which seems to encourage creativity. Would you like to expand a little bit on that, Jan? Yeah, I think for me, travel has always been really important. And I think I've tried for a long time to understand what it does to me. But I think there's something about you leave one place and you leave your preoccupations and your you know yourself to some extent behind and you haven't yet arrived at the other place where you take on the preoccupations the interests and the responsibilities of that place and Mm -hmm. in in the middle you're kind of stripped back to the bones of yourself so there is a real sense of anonymity in airports and trains and places like that where you know people don't know you you can be anything you want and without Mm -hmm. that baggage I find it much easier to write um and I, I think you, you can do that as well. Like I have become very much, and I'm, I'm kind of sad about this, but I've become a residency writer in the last wee while where residencies have offered me in between spaces of, mm-hmm. you know, leaving, leaving here and my preoccupations in Belfast and going and being physically somewhere else for a month where I can just be a writer and just focus on the words. Um, so there's that, that thing about liminal spaces I think is really important and I I think you know I need to do some work on this but I think it also translates even into what it is to be Northern Irish because we are an in-between kind of identity Mm -hmm, Um, mm -hmm. I have a British passport and an Irish passport I have you know a very strong Protestant background but a real affinity with the Catholic communities that I've worked with as well you are in a sense an in-between kind of person here and a lot of mm-hmm. people would see that as a negative, but I actually, I love it. I think it gives me a freedom to play around with and to be really creative in that liminal space. I think it's interesting. I'm t- taking in and digesting what you've just said. I think in a way uh, that's in between this, at least I feel as, as, a, as a reader of, of the fire st- starters, I think that in between this comes into the fire starters, Jan. Yeah, I mean, you I've I've said a lot about, you know, writing closely about the place that you are, but within that you have to be distanced as well. So, mm-hmm. you know, to be a writer is to be a camera and to always be trying to observe and having a kind of objective perspective on things as well. Um, mm-hmm. I think it's impossible to achieve, like you're never going to separate yourself entirely from the stories you tell, but that's what we're striving for. Um, like this sense of like, being present but on the edge of things kind of um Mm -hmm. and I yeah I I kind of I enjoy that um it it gives me a freedom to to play around with and work with I mean there's an there's an essay in there I would love to write and at some stage I'm still pulling it apart what it would look like Okay. Um, now, obviously, the the fire starters, which was your second novel that we've just been chatting about, that won the EU Prize for Literature in 2019. It's one of the best books I've ever read. And what I particularly loved about it is how I wouldn't have described it as the in between until you, you know, spoke just recently. It was for me the fantasy and the reality, the way they're they're weaved together so wonderfully in the same web. The storyline. Uh, how how did that come to you, Jan? Was was it inspired by any particular events or characters? I think there's two main protagonists in it, Jonathan and Sammy. And Sammy's an older man who's an ex-loyalist paramilitary. 
And I mm-hmm. think that his character very much came out of a lot of community arts projects that I have facilitated over the years with men of his age, ilk and experience. Um, and the, the thing that really came to mind was their, their need to talk and their inability to talk and communicate about what they've been through. Mm-hmm. And so I wanted to create a character who, you know, has seen a lot, has been implicated in a lot and is responsible for awful things and you know has has survived it but really Mm -hmm. really needs to vent and express himself and can't and so I guess that's where Sammy came from um and and there's a lot of me and Jonathan the other character who's um a youngish GP who has he's quite with Jonathan his repression isn't coming from a religious background it's more Mm -hmm. his parents have been very cold with him but yeah He's equally like some of the experiences I've had growing up in the Presbyterian church, quite tight with himself mm-hmm. um, and doesn't find mixing and socializing and things like that come easily or naturally. So I guess he's on a journey towards, um, you know, finding himself in some ways and being more free with who he is. Yeah, I mean, the the character, but the both of the characters are absolutely amazing, obviously. Um, and then you know you've given you give Jonathan the character in the in the book uh the gift inverted commas of of a baby who might be a siren where did that come come to you how did that come to you john yeah i think and it, it's it's really really hard to talk about where things come from they just appear sometimes out of the blue um i tend to work around with concepts when i'm working in the 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 more magical elements of of my writing I tend to think mm-hmm. um, what is the the idea or the kind of constraint that I want to to play around with, and then what could be a symbol for that? And the big symbol running through the fire starters is language and the power of language, and how you know language has the ability to destruct, be destructive. Um, mm-hmm. And when I started to think of that, a siren seemed incredibly obvious, and um, because okay. you know, siren speaks and there's chaos, and mm-hmm. It came quite quickly that that seems to me like the best vehicle to explore the destructive mm-hmm. power of language. Okay. Now, the time you were living in East Belfast, obviously you're still living there, but at what stage did you start to write the fire starters? How long were you living in East Belfast and how much do you think uh, the environment has affected your creativity in terms of that particular novel? Um, that is a walking novel. Um, I always say um, it was done. It was written in my head, just pounding the pavements of East Belfast. Okay. Um, at that stage, I was I was living in East Belfast, but working in the, the Ulster Hall in the city centre, which is about a forty minute walk in from mm-hmm. my house. So I would walk in and out to work each day and look and watch and take notes and look at the shape of the streets and the people. And so it was very much constructed in my head while mm-hmm. out and out in the streets. Um, mm-hmm. I guess I, it, the fire starters taught me so much about writing a novel because it was the first one I first novel I'd written after having been edited and realizing like it's probably best not to just throw 200,000 words on a page and see what happens. Um, <laughs> the th- biggest thing that I realized is how much work is done in the head before you ever sit down at the keyboard. So mm-hmm. it was 
maybe six to nine months of thinking about Jonathan and Sammy and the spaces and the situations before I actually put any words on paper. Mm -hmm. Um, Terrifying. I'm actually, I'm about to start a new novel today. First of September has been in my diary for ages and I've been carrying it for nine months. So it feels feels just about ready to to, to start. Yeah. And there is a process now for me and um, I've got another novel coming out in July next year which is is just on final edits at the minute and it was very much mm-hmm. the same with it nine nine months to a year of thinking and then a furious mm-hmm. four month blast of scribbling and then lots okay. of after that okay so it sounds your process is is quite fascinating in terms of you know what you've said about the fire starters John and uh, John and the ones that you've been working on for, you know, the, the one that you're going to start writing today and, and the book that will come out next next July. Um, with the fire starters, you've been putting yourself in the environment, absorbing the environment at the same time as just feeding, I suppose, those characters coming from your years of experience within the community work and so on. Um, do, do you feel that there's any one or two paragraphs from the book that best reflects this that you would like to read? Um, I guess the, the the first section was the one that came closest and, and earliest for me, though this is Belfast section. Um, mm-hmm. It came in a furious sit down and splurge quite close. And I, I wanted something that not only talked about Belfast, but also had a rhythm to it and a kind of flow of Belfast as well. Um, and that's what came out. So it, it, it's probably the most visceral kind of, of piece in the book, I think. Um, so there's that. Do you, do you want me to read it? If, if you if you would like to read a small bit, it would be lovely. Let me see. Hold on. I'll just grab the book here. Okay. <clears throat> right. I'll just read the first page, really. Okay. This is Belfast. This is not Belfast. Better to avoid calling anything a spade in this city. Better to avoid names and places, dates and second names. In this city, names are like points on a map or words worked in ink. They are trying too hard to pass for truth. In this city, truth is a circle from one side and a square from the other. It is possible to go blind staring at the shape of it. Even now, 16 years after the troubles, it is much safer to stand back and say with conviction, sure it all looks the same to me. The troubles are over now. They told us so in the newspapers and on the television. Here, we're very great with religion. We need to believe everything for ourselves. We're all about sticking the finger in and having a good hook around. We didn't believe it in the newspapers or on the television. We did not believe it in our bones. After so many years of sitting one way, our spines had set. We will take centuries to unfold. The troubles have only just begun. This is hardly true either. Depends upon who you're talking to, how they're standing, and which particular day you've chosen for the chat. Those who are ignorant of our situation can look it up on Wikipedia and find there a 3,000 word overview. Further articles can be read online and in academic journals. Alternatively, a kind of history may be acquired from talking to the locals. Piecing this together will be a painstaking process, similar to forging one jigsaw puzzle from two, or perhaps twenty. The troubles is too less a word for all of this. 
It is a word for minor inconveniences such as overdrawn bank accounts, slow punctures, a woman's time of the month. It is not a violent word. Surely we have earned ourselves a violent word, something as blunt and brittle as apartheid. Instead, we have a word like scissors, which can only be said in the plural. The troubles is, was, one monster thing. The troubles is, are, many individual evils caught up together. Other similar words include trousers and pliers. The troubles is always written with a capital T as if it were an event, as the Battle of Hastings is an event with a fixed beginning and end, a point on the calendar year. History will no doubt prove it is actually a verb, an action that can be done to people over and over again, like Stalin. I'll leave it there. Um, I have just been working all weekend with the Ukrainian translator, trying to translate that into Ukrainian. Dear lover. Luckily, this is not a party political broadcast. It is a short announcement to mention our sponsor. This episode of the Creative Places and Faces podcast is sponsored by Property Insurance Center. Property Insurance Center's sponsorship helps to support the local economy by promoting not only local writers, artists, and craftspeople, but also entities involved in travel, tourism, and hospitality. This first series of the Creative Places and Faces podcast has an exciting lineup of guests, including Jan Carson, Henry McDonald, Ann Smith, Malachi O'Doherty, Andrea Spencer, Helen Sharkey, Emma Thorpe, and many others. Today's sponsor, Property Insurance Center, specializes in commercial and residential property insurance and all types of business insurance. Originally established in 1976, this family insurance brokerage has served thousands of businesses and families just like you over the decades. To discover more or become a sponsor, click on the sponsorship link below this podcast. And now back to you, Jackie. Passage has just baffled all of the translators because there's so much work in it. Um, I can imagine. And it, oh, yeah. This, the thing about the troubles is a word in the plural. It just doesn't translate well. So um, it's it's been fun. I've worked with three translators very closely so far, but we have, I think, 13 translations going through at the minute. Really? Because yeah. <laughs> I, I just think immediately in Spanish, what would we say? It would be more like the problems, really, rather than the troubles, yeah. you know? Well, the Spanish Spanish translation's out. It's um, it's been published, and it's it's actually doing really, really well. So my Twitter my Twitter feed is full of comments from Spanish readers that I don't understand, but I think they're liking it. (laughs) (laughs) I'll take a look. I'll take a look later on today, Jan, when when we're finished. That's Uh, gas. I I didn't actually know that the Spanish translation was out. So let's imagine. Just uh, let's play with the, the imagination a little bit. Let's say. Uh, a friend from Spain, a Spanish person is coming to see you in Belfast. Um, where would you, apart from, you know, if it wasn't too close a friend, you wouldn't want them to stay in your house. Where would be the place that you would like to uh, put them up in a hotel or a B&B? Where would be your favorite place, Jan? Gosh, see, that that's a really hard question because I've never stayed anywhere in I Belfast know. except my own house. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I, I do love it's a little bit outside of Belfast but I love the Crawford's Burn Inn um, mm-hmm. on the way to Bangor and it's, it's okay. like a, a kind of 
the lovely thing about living in East Belfast is you're on the edge of the city and you can be out towards the the sea and Bangor mm-hmm. and all of those places really quickly. And the Crawfordsburn Inn has a big fire and lovely gardens out the back. And I, I do sometimes escape out there for a wee, a, wee, a wee glass of wine and a read by the fire. Okay. 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 That sounds, that sounds quite idyllic. And what about, uh, the same Spanish person and they will, will, will say that they read the Spanish, you know, translation of the fire starters. And where would you be taking them, you know, in terms of seeing the sites, mainstream, quirky? Where would you go with them, Jan? I have, um, when I first moved back from the States, I had so many friends come to visit and I had the guided tour down to like about two hours that took in everything. <laughs> and and mm-hmm. it usually, to be honest, you're going to get a lot of eccentric things out of me, but I, I love plodding around the shipyards. I think mm-hmm. you, you can tell the whole of Belfast history from the shipyards. Mm-hmm. Um, and I had a, for one summer, I had a strange job giving tours of the Thompson's Dock before the Titanic Museum was built. So I mm-hmm. learned a lot of the history of, of Belfast Loch and the shipbuilding industry. And I love the way it, it parallels the, the rise of the city. And, you know, there's a huge amount of the Troubles narrative is woven into the shipyards as well. And it, it's also my story because my daddy's first job was in the shipyards. So mm-hmm. I do love it down there. Okay, that's that. That sounds like a great, uh, as you say, slightly not eccentric, but yeah, it's, it sounds like a real, uh, a sort of a gritty but yeah. properly historic kind of introduction to Belfast. I, I, I think no. I think my my favorite whenever I go to to other places, um, and I get to do that a lot. Not at the minute, obviously, but mm-hmm. I love it when I get both the kind of historical narrative of a place, but also someone's personal history woven into it. Mm-hmm. So we're very fortunate. You usually have some kind of a, a chaperone or minder and they will take you around, you know, Prague or Barcelona or wherever it is going, mm-hmm. well, this is my favourite bar. And also here's a little yeah. bit of history of Barcelona. And I, I love that. So I would want to yeah. offer somebody that in Belfast. Mm-hmm. Okay. And and if you were doing that again for a guest where would you bring them either? It doesn't have to be one or the other. What restaurant or restaurants would you, would you bring them, Jan? I guess we, um, the, I'm, I'm, I'm champion in the East again as well. Sorry. Um, but we have, we've had like an explosion of good restaurants around East Belfast as well. Like they're mentioned that kind of poking fun at them in the fire starters of, um, there's an area called Bally Hagamore, which has become Bally Hagamore. Um, so mm-hmm. up there, but, more quirky stuff going on down around here so um, about five years ago we had a, a beautiful new um, public square built right at the end of my street called C.S. Lewis Square um, mm-hmm. celebrating C.S. Lewis and as one of East Belfast's most famous sons um, of and there's course. A, actually a fantastic restaurant in the square um, which is made out of shipping containers called Freight and Freight okay. Really, really good spa- um, food in a very quirky space. So you're inside okay. a shipping container. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I love that we've got really high-end fine dining right in the middle of urban East Belfast. And it, it's fantastically used and appreciated as well. Mm-hmm. Okay. That sounds amazing. And what kind of food are they are they serving there? 
just a range of stuff. Their menu changes quite a lot. So the, the chefs are constantly trying out new things. Um, mm-hmm. I've had lots of really, really nice food out there. And the lovely thing is in the summertime, they spill out onto the square so you can eat outside. Maybe not today. Mm-hmm. It's a bit drizzly out there, but um, it's 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 really hard to explain the difference that the square has made to this space because it, it Previously, it was a space that was quite run down and, you know, at risk of antisocial behaviour and stuff. And it's now this beautiful space that is full of families and culture. And in the summer, there'll be people, musicians out there playing. And we've got mm-hmm. a restaurant. There's a brilliant coffee shop there as well. And it's lovely seeing the transformation of the space not through gentrification because it's it's being used by all of the folks who live around there as well. Mm-hmm. I love that. That sounds almost like, uh, how, how long was the square there, Janet? It sounds almost like uh, sort of it will be an iconic place in the future to to show how change can happen that way, you know? Yeah, I mean, we, we do hopefully are using that as a message at the minute. It's been there for five years and it's also... Um, mm-hmm. You know, I'd mentioned the the greenways. A lot of the greenway routes come to a head at the square, so it's mm-hmm. it's almost like a heartbeat of East Belfast for all of these walking paths and things are are going off, and it, it's just so well used. Um, and there's amazing um, a sculptor has made these amazing sculptures of the characters from Narnia, and they're all around. Oh, the so it's it's presided over by the most enormous Aslan that you will ever see, it's like the size of a, a van kind of thing. Wow. Oh, fantastic. Sounds, it sounds like an amazing space. Um, lastly, in terms of Jan's tour of Belfast for whoever's lucky enough to go on to it, um, what bar would, do you have a favorite bar or is that too difficult to? Um, no, to I, mean, I, I don't know if it's my favorite, but the, the bar that, and it's probably a very obvious thing to say, but the bar we spend most time in is the Sunflower. Um, which I'm okay. sure people have have waxed lyrical about that before, but it, it is a wee a wee gem. Um, we have an mm-hmm. amazing range of craft beers. We've got a fantastic outside space with um a pizza oven, but more mm-hmm. importantly, they are so so open and supportive of the arts. So a lot of the reading sessions that happen in Belfast happen upstairs in the sunflower, and it's mm-hmm. a tiny wee pub it used used to be one of um, Belfast's cage pubs with the cage over the front door um, uh-huh. it's been transformed into this just really vibrant hub of creativity and um, everything that's good and positive about new Belfast so when we have our there's a, a series of readings called the lifeboat sessions poetry readings in Belfast which usually happen on a Tuesday night um, mm-hmm. which is the same time that the ukulele orchestra meets in, okay. in so I just love picking your way in from a cold rainy night clambering over like 40 people playing ukuleles to walk upstairs to find there's 40 people upstairs listening to poetry um, it's fantastic it, it, it feels alive and it feels um, just that that's the kind of Belfast that I would want people to come and see like this is mm-hmm. where we are now Mm-hmm. Okay. No, sounds amazing. So you mentioned uh, earlier on uh, that today was the day you were starting your new book. Do you want to tell us a tiny bit or can you at th- this moment? Um, yeah. So um, it's this This one is going to be, it's got shades of historical fiction because it references back to the um, Northern Ireland was one of the, I think, 
the main training ground for the American GIs who came over to serve in the Second World War. Um, Mm -hmm. So thousands of them were stationed in Belfast before they got deployed to the front. And at one point, 10% of the entire Northern Irish population was American GIs. Mm -hmm. Um, Of course, they met local women and there were romances and there were engagements. So in 1946, after the war was over, there were three boats which left Belfast Loch full of war brides who were heading back to America to to meet up with their, their partners out there. Um, so mm-hmm. the, the book is actually set on the last boat that leaves Belfast Loch. Um, okay. So it explores the some of the women who were going out, but there is, I, I don't want to go into it too much, but there's a, a magic not, yeah. element to it as well because I couldn't okay. help it. Um, so okay. I've been doing a lot of pacing around the shipyards and looking at <laughs> Belfast Loch and reading the, the war memorial and the public records office have been brilliant for accounts and diaries and letters from the women uh-huh. who had those actual experiences. So that's been fantastic mm-hmm. fun reading as well. Okay, well, that sounds intriguing. Obviously, one one for people to be looking forward to. And finally, Jan, the book that is uh, being released next July, what is the title and a quick synopsis? Yeah, I actually have two books out next year. So there's one before. Oh, do you? Yeah, I have a short story collection coming out in um early 2021 called The Last Resort, which is okay. 10 linked short stories um, commissioned by Radio 4. So they'll also be broadcast over 10 weeks on Radio 4. And mm-hmm. it's set in a caravan park in Ballycastle. Um, and it's okay. 10 different residents in the caravan park with mysterious goings on up there. <laughs> so that will be out um hopefully about February time next year. Okay. And in July is my next big novel, which has a working title at the minute of No Promised Land. And it's okay. set in 1993 in a fictional rural village in County Antrim where a really tragic thing happens in the local primary school. And it's about mm-hmm. actually not troubles related at all, which I specifically didn't want it to be a, a troubles incident. But it's mm-hmm. about how this small, quite religious um, rural community responds to a really difficult thing happening. Um both books are obviously magic realist element in them. <laughs> yeah, well, obviously we'd be disappointed if if it wasn't like that, Jan. Yeah. So that's uh, quite a lot of you know. There's you've got three, two books, sorry, coming out next year, and the one that you've started working on. Um, really appreciate Jan all the time. We went actually over our scheduled uh, time today, Jan. I really appreciate that, especially given that you've started writing your book today, and. Uh, Thank you so much for coming on. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. Thank you, Jan. So don't forget to check out the other interviews in this series. That includes a lot of other great talent from Northern Ireland, including authors like Henry MacDonald and Malachi O'Doherty. That's it for today, folks. Thanks, thanks so much for listening and hope to have you back soon. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Creative Places and Faces podcast. If you would like to apply to be a guest or a sponsor, be sure to check out the links below the podcast. Until next time, from all of us here, take care, stay safe, and be creative.